Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and hopefully we're going to finish up Revelation chapter 3. This time and next time we're on the last one, Laodicea, a lukewarm church. I've tried this twice and my phone has stopped twice so far. So the third time hopefully is the charm. There must be a reason why God wanted me to preach this three times. So here we go. Laodicea, a lukewarm church, Revelation 3, 14 to 18. Now, I've heard of a lot of sick churches and been part of churches that were pretty sick. But how would you like to find out that your church makes Jesus Christ sick? <coughs> how would you like to find that out? That's what we're going to see today. A, ch a church that makes Jesus sick to his stomach. How would you like to be in that church? Well, we just might be, as we're going to find out. We saw Philadelphia last time, the most positive church in the seven, of the seven churches in Revelation. And now we come to Laodicea, the most negative church. And it's also an end times church. We'll see there's a historical phase, the connection with the, the historical phase, the end times church, and lots of parallels to the church in the USA today. Mm -mm. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's conviction and pray that your spirit would move in our hearts right now. And I pray that if anybody has not put their faith in you yet, that after hearing today, they would take that step of faith to follow Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen. Okay, so Jesus is writing seven letters to seven churches. We're on the seventh one. They're actual churches, but each of them you could apply to every church of every age and every life of every of, of any time in history. You can so many things that convict each one of us here, and there's um, also a his, they're also historical in the sense of there's a, a prophetic historical phase to each one, and we've been going through those. And we real, I really believe this one, Laodicea, is the, the time of history that we're in right now, the seventh one. And each of them has the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. Let's dig right in here. I'll read the passage. Revelation 3, starting with verse 14. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Woo! You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be in earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, <coughs> excuse me, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, whoo, here we go. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right. Laodicea. Laodicea was a city founded in 250 B.C. Pretty new. 250 B.C. by Antiochus of Syria. Where did we hear his name before? The book of Daniel. Do you remember the book of Daniel? We heard his name in Daniel. He had named this city after his wife Laodice. And 
You look at the map here, it's 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia. Just kind of, we're about 45 here where we live in New Hope. We're about 45 miles from modern day Philly, not north. Not, we're not southeast though, uh, but this, this was 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia. The Great Roman Road, the Great Roman Road through the province of Asia ran right through this spot. That's why he, that's why Antiochus built it there. It ran right through this spot. It was incredible trade. It was like the trade center. Incredible wealth. Very, very wealthy. In fact, you can see the pictures of the columns here. All the columns give you a, just a, a small glimpse of the splendor of this city. You also can see the theater. You see the theater. There were several theaters, amazing theaters. Uh, just, just posh wealth opulent city, unbelievable. Keep all this in mind. And then Jesus goes on to give, before we get back to Laodicea, Jesus gives a description of himself. He says, he calls himself, right here, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. The Amen, the Greek word, uh, it's a Greek word and it means true. Amen, Greek true and when we pray we end our prayers with amen we're confirming that jesus is the final word he's the truth the final word of our prayer and versus the u.s culture which is relativistic we say everything is relative there's no such thing as right or wrong there's no such thing as true or false it, it, it it's all relative but jesus is uh, uh everything has to go through me i am the amen i am the truth it all has to go through me and i will strain out everything that is not true and then he calls himself the faithful and true witness faithful and true witness <clears throat> now remember the laodiceans <coughs> excuse me the laodiceans were famous this water is going to be a great illustration in a little bit hang on uh, the laodiceans were famous salesmen they were famous for closing the sale whatever they 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 were known as the people that would say whatever they had to say to close the deal think of the USA and all the salesmen here right uh to close the deal when I was in Jerusalem, we went to visit the market in Jerusalem and the pastor, I was a youth pastor at the time, the pastor said, let's go early. We got to go early because um, because you want to be the first one there because they always want to make their first deal. They'll do anything to make that first deal. It's like getting the monkey off their back or, or superstition. We got to make that first deal. So you'll get great prices if you go early. So we got there right when it opened and I'll never forget, I saw this rug that I wanted. It was a sheepskin rug, different colors, sheepskin rug, really pretty. It's now hanging in my parents' living room, all right, and uh, it's really pretty, and uh, I remember I, I wanted that, and I said, I'd like to buy this rug, and, and the guy said, $50, I said, okay, $50, and the, the pastor who I was with said, don't you, and he was a real, he was a pretty strong, strong-willed guy too, just like the salesman, he says, don't, don't you give him $50, offer him 25 off from 25 he, 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 he doesn't expect 50 and he's got to make the first deal, I said, well, okay, uh, 25? And the guy said, what? You Americans always tried to rip us off. 25? This is, oh, you're unbelievable. And he, he starts going crazy and I turn back to the past. I don't think he wants 20. I think he wants the $50. He goes, don't give it to him. And it was going back and forth. It's like the angel and devil on my shoulder. I'm not sure which was which. They're about, you know, going at each other through me. I was the middle man. And, and he kept pushing it. And I said, no, I, uh, the pastor said, 
only give him 25. I said, okay, here's 25. Take it or leave it. And the guy started crying. He was crying. You're gonna, you're all oh, my poor children. They're gonna starve now. You're, 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 they won't have medicine. And he was crying. I go, he's crying. Let me give him $50. You are not giving him $50. And I just went, finally, the guy says, okay, take it. Steal my rug, you know. And I walked away feeling terrible. Terrible. And I said, I feel terrible. And the pastor said, you, he probably didn't expect that. You probably, he's still probably ripped you off. It's probably worth half of that. You know, and I was like, and I'm like, I didn't like that. I'm, I'm from the farming community. We say what we mean and mean what we say. You know, we know those games. Handshake is enough. So, but, but, but that, that's what it was like. And <clears throat> that's a kind of a picture of what it was like <coughs> in Laodicea. They, they, uh, but Jesus is, no, no, no. I'm different from that. What I say is reality. Faithful and true witness. What I say is reality. There's no spin doctors writing my speeches. There's no spin doctor writing my press release. He, he, he says I'm the faithful and true witness. And he also says I'm the ruler of all creation. John 1, 3 where he says, Through him all things were made. Nothing was made that has been made. Without Jesus he made it all. Everything. He is sovereign. And so he's saying, Get ready Laodiceans. You're going to get a accurate evaluation from me, the ruler of the universe. Alright? And so each one has the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. We're going to do the good and the bad today, and next time we'll do the next part of it. So let's look at for the good verse in verse 14. I know your deeds. Oh, no good. Nothing! <laughs> there is no good. Nothing. Not a zip. Uh, I have a hint for you. Next week, we're going to, next time, next time, it might be next week, we'll, we'll see that it represents the end times church, the church of today. It's not going to be pretty. Alright? But there's nothing good. Not one positive thing to say about this church. That is not a good sign. Alright? That's pretty scary here. Then, but he does, has plenty of bad things to say. The bad, the bad part one, just the part one is in verse 15 and 16, where he says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He says, you're not hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. And I remember hearing people preach on this saying, see, God wants you hot or cold. you got to make up your mind. Are you going to be hot for God or reject Him and be cold? That's not what this is saying, okay? That's, that's not understanding what this is saying. He's not saying hot is good and cold is bad, so make up your mind which we are going. No, God doesn't want anybody negative spiritually. He would never encourage us to go negative and, and cold in the negative sense spiritually. You have to understand, in our culture, when we say hot or cold, we mean good or bad, right? But, but in the Middle East, hot and cold were both positive. Both of them are positive. Hot water was used to make tea, hot tea, all right? It was hot and it would soothe and warm you up on a cold night. Nights were very cold in the Middle East, uh, still are very cold in the Middle East. And But cold water was good too because it's hot during the day and that cold water refreshes you. There was no ice cubes. There were no refrigerators at this time. And so it would refresh. And so God wants us as Christians to be cold, hot or cold. He wants us to be hot and warm people up spiritually or cool and refresh the world around us. He wants us to be either way. So what he does not want us to be is lukewarm. Lukewarm. We see from that verse. Because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The Laodiceans, both as a culture and the Christians there, were lukewarm. Lukewarm means room temperature. 
room temperature. The water I keep drinking off my desk is room temperature. <coughs> but I, that, it's the same temperature as the room. And it's okay if I just need a sip here and there because I'm coughing. But, but it's not okay if it's the culture of the church is that way. And they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said they were lukewarm. Laodicea was was an amazing city. It was the perfect city except for one thing. It didn't have any water. <laughs> There's no water. They had to bring it from a long... Six miles away was the closest water source. They had to bring it from six miles away and these pipes, these aqueducts. In fact, here's a picture of it. You can see the aqueduct and the stone. Six miles long. I know I was in the Middle East and I visited in Caesarea. The, I saw the aqueducts. They would bring this, this water from far away and they they could bring water in from the, their famous hot springs that were not too far away. But if they wanted drinking water, they, there was these cold wells that were six miles away in Colossae. And, and they, they had to bring in this water. But the problem is with both the hot water and the cold water, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. There was no ice, remember? There was no ice. And if the water, the hot water got lukewarm, they had to reboil it to get it hot again. There was, there was, there was, by the time it got there, it was gross. And Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's what they probably felt like doing when this water, this tepid water came in. It was like, ugh, what happened to that cold water? Ugh, where's our hot water that we're going to take our bath in, right? Or soak our, our, our joints in. <clears throat> and, and so Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And the word used there for spit is in Greek actually means to vomit. To vomit. It's to violently expectorate. Right? This is not a pretty picture. If you've ever been, if you've ever violently expectorated, really vomited, it's not a pretty sight. I, I take it from someone who has 13 kids. Woo! Uh, the one thing we fear, we, uh, our house, COVID, we're not, we're not that concerned about COVID. Just don't bring stomach bug into our house. <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't want COVID either. But but what we really fear is anything that you throw up from. You know, the stomach bug. You know, the stomach virus that you, you throw up. It, it starts with one kid and, and starts going and goes through 13 kids. And by the time it goes through, it's, it's already morphed into a new strain and goes through again. And we've had to go through twice. Oh, you talk about not sleeping for a month. Wow. Brutal. But... But that's exactly, we must realize that's what we are like, what we cause Jesus to do when, when we are lukewarm. What we're like to Jesus when we become like the culture, when we become like the world around us. It disgusts him. He wants to violently expectorate us. He wants to vomit us. He, we are spit Christians to him. That's all we are. Romans 12, 2 talks about what happens. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And the word there for conform means to be squeezed into a mold like they would do with clay at that time. Or think about when you're a kid with Play-Doh. You take the Play-Doh and you put it in these molds and you squeeze it and squish it and, and you make it into something. And that's a picture of what God does not want us to do. He doesn't want us to be squeezed into the world's mold to become like the world. He, that, that, that is disgusting to him. And yet that's exactly what we see happening in our culture today. I don't know if you've been following the whole election, special election in Georgia, but one of the people running for the Senate in Georgia is a pastor. His name is Reverend Warnock. He's he's a pastor at Ebenezer, 
Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is the same church that Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor at. And so it has a godly heritage. And yet he came out with a statement while he's running for the Senate down there that abortion is compatible with Christianity. Yeah, you heard that right. Abortion is compatible with Christianity. He says he's a pro-choice pastor. He, and he says it's reproductive justice. Killing babies is reproductive justice. Did I tell you social justice was a fraud and a fake? Here's the, here's the manifestation of it. You know, God teaches biblical justice. Let righteousness roll on like a river. Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. Justice and righteousness are always connected in true justice. They can't be disconnected. Otherwise, it's a fraud. It's a fake. And we're seeing it here. Social justice is a fraud. It's a fake. It, it, it says killing babies is okay. In fact, it's reproductive justice. Shocking, horrible. Thank God that that uh, Dr. Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., scorched him this week. I don't know if you oh, she just laid into that hypocrite, that, that false prophet. And, and someone even called him out during one of his press conferences. Someone asked him, you know, shouted out the question, are you a pastor? Or are you for God or a pastor for Moloch? You know, and that's exactly, child sacrifice is exactly what this guy is. But that is the church in the USA today. Mega church pastor, he gets away with defrauding, just completely, ugh, it's, it's disgusting, vomit. He's a spit Christian, but he's not the only one. Listen, only out of all the Christians in our culture, all these people claim to be born again Christians, only 6% of Americans have a biblical world view. Study after study. 6% biblical worldview. The basics to Christianity. Only 6%. And with the younger generation, it's even worse. The, the, uh, the younger millennials are only 2% of Ameri- American millennials have a biblical world view. And that's why it's no shock this last uh, study just came out. It says biblical worldview giving way to socialism among young evangelicals. Not a shock that they're being, that uh, there's a ministry that helps this is by Steve Jordahi, onenewsnow.com. He, <clears throat> he's talking about a ministry that helps Christian young people strengthen their biblical worldview as looking to the future, and he says it's pretty bleak. He says, polls show that a permanent anti-religious socialist majority through the vehicle of the Democratic Party is emerging in the United States. Young church-going Christians aren't fighting this leftward current, they're swimming with it. 2%. Alright. Myers tells, says that the evangelical youth are buying into socialist and Marxism without realizing what it's doing to their faith. At the base of Marxism is anti-Christ, anti-Christian, opiate of the masses, anti-God. That's at the base. And he says, his reason, now this is the, the fruit of it. His research finds that 69% of evangelical youth who attend church don't believe in absolute truth and think that if your beliefs offend someone, you're the one who's wrong. Shocking, scary, that is the fruit of it. He says the church has to develop a biblical worldview curriculum to educate its youth. And he also says that pastors have to preach Biblically, they have to do it, and church leadership should give them permission and the encouragement to do that. He, listen to this. He says, nine in ten pastors believe the Bible speaks to today's issues, all the things we're talking about, 
but only one in ten ever brings it up. <laughs> if it isn't preached in the church, they're not going to get it anywhere else. They're sure not going to get it on their TV sets or, or through the media, right? You know, the church has to preach biblical truth. It, it, it's vital that we do that. And that as a result, the, the, cult, the Christians in the U.S. culture have become lukewarm. And it makes Jesus sick. It makes him sick. Look at what he says about the Laodiceans and connect the dots to the USA today. This is the encouragement he gives them and us today. Verses 17 and 18, he says, You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He says, you say, I am rich. The Laodiceans said they were rich. They were totally self-sufficient. Laodicea comes from two words. It means people and to determine. The idea is that they, 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 the people determine things. It's, it's self-rule. Self-rule. Now, we live in a democracy, the USA, and we have the same thing. Supposedly, if we determine our own uh, direction that we go. The people vote on it, and su supposedly, that's the way it works. But we're seeing from the last election, who knows what's really going on. <laughs> Nobody's happy with it, are they? They think there's lots of craziness going on all different directions, right? <clears throat> So we won't go there, but uh, but that's okay for USA politics, but it's not okay for the Church of Jesus Christ because we do not determine anything in the church. We are servants of Jesus Christ, slaves of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, and we follow him. We follow his word. We don't get to pick or choose. All right, and it was so totally self-sufficient, self-rule, and it's also a very. It was a very wealthy city in 1780. They had a devastating earthquake that destroyed the city. They rebuilt it without Rome's help. Rome usually would come in and help them rebuild. No, we don't need your help. We got this. Imagine today, California. Now, all the forest fires. We don't need a an emergency declared. We'll pay for this ourselves. New York City collapsing, you know, economically. We don't need any federal help. We'll handle this ourselves. You know, can you imagine a hurricane down, you know, the, the, the hurricane in New Orleans? We don't need federal help rebuilding. We're going to rebuild our city. Can you imagine that? But that's how wealthy and how self-sufficient they were. We don't need anybody's help, not even Rome's. And we see that same attitude today in the church. We don't need God's help. We don't need God's help. Uh, and the, forget, let's start with the, the, the country. We don't need God's help. Cuomo and Governor Cuomo in New York saying with the COVID hitting, we don't stop praying. We can solve this ourselves. We don't need God's help. We're going to do this ourselves. How's that working for you, Governor Cuomo? Looks like it's a mess. Uh, you know, New York City's collapsing crazy. God's going to fix that attitude. But, but the problem is, is when the Christians allow the culture to influence them spiritually. To influence them spiritually. And we, we, we have wealth and a self-sufficient attitude. We don't need God. We, <clears throat> we can do it without God. We're, we're rich. So God must be blessing us. There's a whole big spiritual movement. It's called Word of Faith that's built on that premise. You know, I'm wealthy, so that means God is blessing me spiritually. Ah, uh, that's not what it means. And the church the church in Laodicea had this mentality. They bought into it. Archaeologists have found large, lavish 
churches in Laodicea. In fact, here's one picture right over here of, of one of the churches that they found fancy churches, built these big churches, just like the USA Today. Look at all the money we've spent on churches. We spent a fraction on missions that we've spent on church buildings. The, church, the, the worldwide evangelism would have happened a long time ago. It, it would be over. It's ugh, Don't even get me started. But, but then with the Laodiceans, and now with the USA Today, the self-sufficiency. We, we only call on God when we have an, a real emergency. He's the 911 operator for us with prayer. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way God wants it work. He wants us to be completely dependent on Him. Second Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to be weak enough that God's power can work. We need to depend on God's grace and realize that that is sufficient. That's, 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 that is the, the key for spiritual growth and, and true spiritual blessing, not the fake stuff. Jesus had a very different view of the Laodicean church than they had. They said, we're, we're rich. We got it made. We don't need anything. He says, no, 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 no. He, look what it says there. He says, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Woo! Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. That's the way Jesus saw them. You think you're wealthy? No, no. You're spiritual. You're in spiritual poverty. You think you're well dressed? You're naked. You have the emperor's new clothes. You're naked. You know, I it, I go on a lot of mission trips and I've been in some different places where where India and the Philippines where they said, wow, boy, it must be great to be part of the American church. And, and you know, just it's so super spiritual there. And, and you got been so blessed. Look at all, the, all you have. And I'm like, listen, don't be like us. We might be rich materially, but we're spiritually bankrupt. Don't copy us. We need to copy you guys, you know. And, and that's, that was the view. That was the difference here with, with Laodicea and the church in the USA today. Laodicea was the banking center. The banking center, they had financial advisors. Yes, hot, yes, hot. E.F. Hutton says, oh, everybody listens. When they start talking, everybody listens. E.F. Hutton says, and everybody stops, right? Well, Jesus says, well, this is what I say. Everybody better stop and listen to what Jesus has to say. He gives his advice. He says, you need to look for true riches, not the fake riches, not the stock market, which is going to lose all of its value someday, and maybe soon even, but someday going to be all gone. Trust me, it's going to be gone. True riches. He says, take from me true riches. He says several things. He says, gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire. And he's not talking about physical gold. He's talking about spiritual gold. <clears throat> he's talking about what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 when he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. He says, this is what he's talking about. True faith is real gold. Faith that comes through the trials and is refined by the refiner's fire, that's true gold, true riches. If our confidence is in fool's gold, it will end up empty. Fool's gold is the money's, the world's money in gold, and it, we're going to end up money uh, empty. That, that money can't fulfill us. That can't give us peace. That can't help us in a crisis, as we're finding out with the whole cro, co, 
COVID crisis, the pandemic, all right? But if our faith has grown by depending on God in trials, in trials, we can face anything because we're rich. We have true gold, God's treasure. He also says not only gold refined in the fire, but he says white clothes to wear. White clothes to wear. Now, the lay, a lot of us don't know this, but this is vital. Jesus knew exactly what he's saying, and they knew what he was saying. Laodicea was famous for its black sheep. Ba-ba, black sheep, have you any wool? Okay, got it. Black sheep, they, they had the black sheep there, and as a result, they could had this black wool that they made this glossy black clothing from. Uh, they were the original goths. Now, I love black clothing. Most of the time I preach, you see I'm wearing black sh- black shirts. I, I think black is a beautiful color uh, and, and with the clothing, it, it, it looks so good and that's what they had. It looked so good here. It looked good, but the real reason they were wearing it, we wear it because we like the way we think it looks beautiful, but the reason they were wearing it was the look. there was no washing machines. There was no washing machines. It hid the dirt. It, it didn't show up. It's like when I wear my my shirt, uh, when I go out to eat, I don't wear a white shirt because I know I'm going to spill food on it. And then Kim's going to be mad. She can't fix that shirt. I wear a dark shirt. That's why I wear my black shirts all the time. I like the color black. I think it looks good. And um, uh, and But I also know that I don't have to worry about getting it dirty because it won't show, right? And so that's the idea here. But what Jesus said is you think by wearing... excuse me you think by wearing your black clothing that you're getting away with something but you're not because i still see the filth i still see the sin you're 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 really spiritually naked in my eyes i can see you we must be clothed in jesus christ righteousness we have to have the 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 white clothing the 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 clothing that you can see there's no Sin on it that it will show up, and the dirt will show up, and we can see we're, we're righteous, and that we we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Immediately we have the, his. When God looks at us, He sees that righteousness. But we have to we have to then live out our sanctification. That's the salvation part. But we have to live out the sanctification on a daily basis. We have to keep our clothes that righteousness. We we keep the. Let me put it this way. We keep the righteousness positionally, but practically we need to keep it clean. Very, very important. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. In Revelation 19, 7 and 8, it says this. Listen to what it says here. When it's talking about the second coming and getting ready for Jesus to come again for his holy bride. <coughs> it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, stands for the righteous acts. Oh, no. I'm blurring it. going by memory. I'm going to have to read it. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Very, very important that we are, we must be dressed in white, live in holy lives, no dirt, ready for the return of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus says we need gold refined. We need clean clothes. And finally, it says we need salve. So for our eyes, so we can see. And right away, the Laodiceans knew what Jesus was talking about. They were 
famous for their medical schools and especially for a special eye ointment. An eye ointment that was supposed to cure all different eye problems. People from all over Asia would pay a lot of money for this eye ointment from Laodicea. But he says, you have this special eye ointment, but that doesn't work. You need my eye ointment to see. You are blind spiritually. It might work on your physical eyes, but not your spiritual eyes. You are blind spiritually. We are all blind spiritually until Jesus opens our eyes. We're blind spiritually. We're all like the blind man in John chapter 9. Mud on his eyes. Jesus walks, washes it off. I was blind, but now I see. We're all like the apostle Paul, who before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he had the scales on his eyes. And they had to pray to Jesus to remove those scales. And we, we, we're all like that. We can only see by faith. We, we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ in order to see. That is the only cure for the spiritual blindness that every one of us starts out with. We are all spiritually blind. Second Corinthians 4, 4. <coughs> <coughs> <clears throat> need, my, need my lukewarm water here. Second Corinthians 4, 4 tells us why we are spiritually blind. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this age. Who is he talking about? Satan. The devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We're blocked by Satan, who's blinded our minds. We can't spiritually see who Jesus is or understand the gospel until God knocks those scales off, until Jesus washes that mud off. And we, we have to put our faith in Jesus in order to see. Are you ready to put your faith? Maybe you realize that you're, you're blind. Maybe for the first time, you are understanding that, that you are spiritually blind, but you want to see. Your eyes are being opened for the first time. The key is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son to die in our place on that cross to pay for our sin and we have to believe in Him, put our faith in Him, our trust in Him, give our life to Him. The moment we do that, the Bible says we are born again. John 3, 3-8 three through 8. <coughs> And we, we get that by putting our faith, our trust, our hope, complete dependence in Jesus Christ. Have you received your sight or are you still blind looking for, for you know, trying to get around? Or have you received your sight or your eyes open spiritually? You have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're a Christian, but you realize that your sight is getting kind of hazy. You're starting to get foggy eyesight. You've been allowing the world, you've been looking at the wrong things or thinking about the wrong things or doing the wrong things or living out the wrong things and your eyesight is getting hazy, cloudy. It's, it's like spiritual cataracts. Uh, I, I was supposed to get cataract surgery a year ago. COVID knocked it out. So I was supposed to get it a month ago. COVID knocked it out. I'm going to wait. I just ordered a new pair of glasses. I'm going to wear them for a year. I don't care. I'm, I'm going to wait. But, but it, my eyesight is foggy and especially at night I have trouble seeing with the headlights coming at me and and uh and it's because I have cataracts it's very easy to develop spiritual cataracts we need to we need spiritual surgery and God to put in a, a new lens to see things through his word we need to see that that way it it's very easy for us to get this foggy eyesight and to to become lukewarm to become a spit Christian, it happens so gradually we don't know what's happening. It's the famous frog in the kettle illustration. You probably you've heard this many times, but I'm going to tell it again. You take a frog and you have a hot
hot pot of water. And if you throw that frog in that hot pot of water, guess what he does? Tries to get out. He tries to get out, get out. But if you put him in lukewarm water, room temperature, set him in, guess what he does? Chills out, does the back float, relaxes, has his fun. But if you start cooking that frog, if you have that on a stove and you start heating it up, heating it up slowly, 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 guess what the frog does? Cooks. He doesn't try to get out. He just cooks. It so happens so slowly he doesn't realize he's being cooked. Don't do it, but trust me. Don't do it at home, but trust me, it works. I grew up at a farm. We we cooked many frogs. Ate many frog legs. Ooh, bullfrog legs are great. Uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, but but it, it, don't do it at home. But that's what happens. You can cook the frog slowly, and that's what happens. Satan knows how to cook us slowly. The world pulls us in slowly, and that's why Romans twelve two. When I said, "Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world." Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed. The word for transform in the Greek is metamorphe. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's when a, a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar crawling on the ground to a butterfly that can fly around. Every one of us needs to go through that process where we go we go from crawling spiritually to flying and, and, and feel a you know, coast and float on the Holy Spirit's wind. We all have to go to that place, every one of us. But it starts with being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the way that we, we our mind is renewed is through God's Word. God's Word is how our minds are renewed. We need to read God's Word, study God's Word, listen to God's Word taught. We need to, we need to, uh, memorize it, memorize it, and meditate on it, and, and live it. Let it be, go from our mind to our heart to our life, and, and live it out. We need to fight with God's Word. The Bible is, it says, uh, the Word of God is, um, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Also, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Whoa, I knocked that down. Sharper than any double-edged sword. And I just happen to have a sword here. I got them all over the house, by the way. Uh, and... Uh, and so, but this is the picture of the Word of God, the double-edged sword, that it can slice through and, and break anything, get through any obstacle. That's what God's Word does. We have to learn how to use it to fight off Satan, to fight off temptation, to fight off the flesh, to fight off the world. To, to, we have to, to learn to use God's Word and, and we have to learn to take captive. Second Corinthians 10, 3-5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. Every thought that comes our way, we have to force it to go through God's word, through God's word. And if it doesn't, if it's not the right thought, it shouldn't get through God's word. Whoa, uh, I'm getting out of control here. Uh, my hands are slippery. But anyway, uh, that sword. But anyway, you slam it shut. You slam it in. That that thought. You slam it in. I held on to it that time. You slam it, and in in God, it stays put. We take captive and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. That's what we have to do to every thought. That The trouble that we get into in life, the way we get conformed to the world, the way that we come room temperature is, is the thought. If we will just deal with that first thought, the victory's ours. But once we let that flaming arrow hit us and start to burn in our mind or in our, or in our, our body, we let it burn and then it gets out of control. The key is and we take captive every thought thought and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. It has to get through God's Word. Every thought, everything, every philosophy, everything has to go through God's Word. Let's pray. How is God convicting us today? 
How is he speaking to us? Maybe we realize that we have spiritual cataracts. Maybe we realize that we have become lukewarm. We've become like the world. Maybe we realize that, that we, we're just repulsive spiritually to Jesus because of what we have become. But we don't have to stay that way. God is waiting for us. God is waiting for us to come back. God is waiting for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and He's willing to help us do that. But it's a decision, Lord. Lord, I'm going to take captive every thought from now on. Every thought that comes my way, Lord, I'm going to take it captive make it obedient to Jesus. I don't want to be a conformer. I want to be a transformer. I don't want to be a spit Christian. I, want to, I don't want to be swallowed by the world. I want to impact this world through Jesus Christ and His power, and His Holy Spirit. I want to be ready for Jesus when He comes again for His Holy Bride. I want to be ready. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be ready. And maybe you're not ready because you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Him. You're still blind. Satan still got you. The world's got you. You realize today you're convicted about your spiritual blindness, but you don't have to stay blind. You can receive your sight right now. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. For God so loved the world (coughs) that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can pray that simple but powerful prayer of faith right now. God, I don't want to sin the garbage. I don't want to be blind anymore. I repent. I repent. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus, your one and only son who died on the cross in my place for my sin to make me right again in your sight. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. Father, I pray that every person who is listening to this right now would be sure of their salvation and sure of their sanctification. I pray that our lives would be changed because of your word and your warning here. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Uh, we'll finish up Laodicea next time. So be ready for that one. It's going to be a wild one. Even wilder than this one. (laughs)